Hello and welcome. You are listening to an informed take on current events brought to you by law students and staff of Queen's University Belfast. This is LawPod. Welcome to Criminology Matters, the criminological podcast series in conjunction with LawPod. And today we have Professor Graham Ellison from the School of Law and Dr. Kiva Nidonal from the School of History, Anthropology and Politics. And they're here today to talk about this new report that they released yesterday in conjunction with Erin Early from the School of Social Sciences, Education and Social Work and the Department of Justice. And this report, a review of the criminalisation of paying for sexual services in Northern Ireland, gave really the statistics the responses from sex workers and clients and from different stakeholders. So I'll maybe start with you, Graham, and ask you to give us a sense of the context of the law that created this criminalisation and think a bit about the situation that was in Northern Ireland before this and what fed up to this introduction. No problem, Gillian. Um, I'll maybe start with the, um, I suppose, historical context mm-hmm. to this report, but also, I suppose, to prostitution in, in Northern Ireland generally. Mm-hmm. It's actually quite strange because um, since the end of the, the the conflict or the troubles here, that's really only when we started getting some uh, data, and in particular the the DOJ study in 2014 that preceded ours. Mm -hmm. Oddly enough, we've actually more information from the 19th century about the nature of prostitution in Belfast, because Belfast is a port city like Liverpool, Dublin or wherever. in those kinds of environments, prostitution flourishes and thrives. So there was a part of Belfast it's mostly demolished now. I think it's just a tiny bit left called Sailor Town. Okay. Um, and they, uh, there are a number of bars and establishments around that area where, where sex workers used to congregate and meet sailors coming and going from the, the ships. And Leanne McCormick from the University of Ulster has, has documented that well. During the, 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 the troubles, we've had very, very little data on, on prostitution. Um, there were by all accounts, very few prosecutions for solicitation, for example. We didn't, don't really know anything. I think um, how sex markets, commercial sex markets thrive in, a, in a, an atmosphere of political violence is something that, that should, needs to be studied because we have no data. Mm-hmm. So as I say, we have lots of data from the 19th century uh, and lots of data from 2014, but very, very little in between, I suppose what we do know is that that Belfast generally um, had indoor sex markets to a far greater extent than other cities in the UK, because during the the troubles it was too dangerous to use public sp- space and solicit on the street. Plus, there was a far higher level of RUC and army surveillance, uh, so sex workers moved indoor. Uh, in Belfast from the 1970s, um, whereas that wouldn't have been the case, say, in Dublin or Leeds or Liverpool, Glasgow or 
um, wherever. So anyway, from 2014, that was the first time ever in the history of this jurisdiction that we've any um, robust empirical um, data collected on prostitution in Northern Ireland. That was um, commissioned by the Department of Justice. Kiva was part of that study, and she'll be talking a bit about that in a in a in a second. But that uh, threw up a number of uh, interesting facts. For example, uh, one, the first fact, I suppose, was that the bulk of prostitution here is indoor and online. Okay. Um, and that Belfast uh, doesn't really have a large on-street sector the way that, for example, Manchester would have. Like I did research in Manchester a few years ago, and there were probably around 150 female sellers that were registered on, on the service provider's books. Okay. Belfast may have had 10 to 20, uh, so a significantly less number. The other, uh, I suppose, fact, if you like, is that prostitution here is globalised. Um, comparatively few local Northern Irish males or females uh, sell sex. Mm -hmm. Rather, it's a kind of an international, I've called it, a, we call it a smorgasbord in the, in, in the report. Um, and that resonates with the kind of phenomenon of the, the touring sex worker who works um, for a couple okay. of days in, in cities. They might work in Belfast, move to Dublin, Cork, Limerick, Glasgow, and then come back to, to Belfast. The early research uh, suggested that the bulk of prostitution, as we know anyway, was uh, performed by females. Mm -hmm. Males and transgender, transsexual sex workers formed uh, smaller numbers. So I think that's really the, the, the baseline. Oh, and I think uh, the prevalence, they estimated that around 300 to 350 sellers are active in Northern Ireland um, on any one day, mostly selling from the internet. Mm -hmm. um, as I say, very, very few sex workers here uh, sell on street. Okay. So that was the, the the baseline. And I suppose I should say as well that, that Nor we in Northern Ireland here are actually in a totally unique position globally in the sense that we have prevalence data from before and after sex purchase legislation was introduced. So the early DOJ study was introduced before the legislation yeah. kicked in. So we have a baseline figure for that. Mm -hmm. uh, so we were able in the current study to look back and see has it increased, decreased, stayed the same. So that's great. That really sets the context for what the situation was in Northern Ireland before the legislation came in place. Could you tell us a bit about why this legislation was introduced and who introduced it? Yeah, um, to, to, to be honest, I, I was as surprised as anyone. Um, and I actually remember the day I heard that, that this legislation was even being proposed. I was, I was lying on my sofa and I heard Lord Morrow from the Democratic Unionist Party talking about prostitution. I thought this is really surprising because prostitution was not really something that had ever featured in their 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 discourse. Yeah. Um, so that's really what, what I suppose what, what got me interested in, in the, the topic. But but the context, I suppose, um, was that basically you had a, a kind of a coalescence of figures from the religious right, mm -hmm. and they were represented by an organization called CARE, mm -hmm. uh, Christian uh, Research, Action and Education. They have a, a branch in Belfast, but they are essentially based in London, um, and they do a lot of lobbying in Parliament. 
around abortion rights, GLBT rights, uh, and so on and so forth. Um, you also had, uh, I suppose, what you might call secular feminism of a particular variety represented by women's aid in Northern Ireland. I'm not saying for a second that, that women's aid represent the only feminism in Northern Ireland, but they do represent a strand of what's called abolitionist feminism. Mm -hmm. um, so you had a coalescence then of the kind of uh, political and uh, religious right yeah. and secular feminism who came together to campaign for this bill. The, the the model that it's, I suppose, modelled on is, is called the Nordic model because yeah. it was introduced in Sweden uh, initially in 1999 and then exported to uh, Norway, Iceland and subsequently France, the Republic of Ireland um, and, of course, Northern Ireland as as well. Um, and it's, it's quite a... Uh, a powerful model and the, the Swedish government have put, attached a lot of uh, stock in the fact that this is something that can be um, ex exported yeah. globally. Uh, so there's quite a lot of marketing mm -hmm. uh, around around it. But that, I suppose, is the, 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 the basic, um, I suppose, framework for, yeah. for, for this model. Do you want to give us a little bit of insight into the, the Nordic model, Kiva? So the Nordic model um, is the criminalisation of the purchase of sex rather than the criminalisation of the selling of sex. So that's only the client who is actually going to be prosecuted, convicted, arrested if any arrests are, are to be made. And really the aim of that or, or the purported aim of that is to reduce demand on sex without penalising the sex worker themselves. So... Um, Whenever it's so, so on the surface, it seemed to be very much protecting primarily women. Sex workers are primarily women, though not entirely. Is protecting women, being able to move them out of sex work without actually um, penalising them. Mm -hmm. Okay, interesting. So it seems like it's another aspect of uh, carceral feminism, yeah. I guess. Yeah. And I think uh, as a prison abolitionist, yeah. Yeah. there's um, a bit of a tension there, you know, between anti-carceral mm. perspectives mm. and then feminists who want to protect women through uh, different stratas of criminalisation. Yeah, no, I, I think I think that reference to carceral feminism is actually um, a good one because um, we, we would make the argument that, that Northern Ireland, in fact, shares more with the United States yeah. in terms mm -hmm. of its debates around prostitution yeah. than it does with uh, England, Scotland, Wales, or indeed elsewhere in, in Europe. Because yeah. what what you've had in, in the United States is a kind of a linking of carceral feminism with the religious right yeah. as mm -hmm. well, who campaign on lots of different issues for around uh, pornography, uh, prostitution, and so on and so forth. Yeah. So that's something that, that we have that that doesn't really happen or hasn't really happened elsewhere in the United Kingdom. Yeah. Links to those kinds of you know, debates in, in, in America, for example. Yeah, and I think that's a really important aspect to the manifestation of feminism in Northern mm. Ireland, yeah. actually, mm. because we do live in a conservative Christian patriarchy. Mm. And so what you were saying then is this uh, feeding into the legislation yeah. that was produced. Absolutely. So what were the findings of this report regarding sexual offences? Well, the, the, the study looked at, at the operation of, of Article 64A, which was what was called Clause 6 in the old bill, and that's the bit 
of the 2015 Human Trafficking Act that, that criminalizes the purchase um, of sex. It's kind of odd because in, in the Northern Ireland Assembly, this was discursively presented uh, as being linked, as linking prostitution to human trafficking for sexual exploitation. Mm -hmm. But the kind of irony is that, that neither of the two cases that have been brought before the courts involve either prostitution or human trafficking. The first case uh, involved um, a young man in a, in a garage uh, waving a, a, a roll of banknotes at a, at a female cleaner who happened to be Lithuanian. Okay. Um, there was no suggestion at all that, that the cleaner was a sex worker. The second case uh, is probably a bit more serious in the sense that it involved uh, an older male trying to pick up uh, a school girl um, yeah. and to our mind uh, in the report the the that guy should have been prosecuted under child grooming offences yeah. which would attract fairly significant penalties in the law but the prosecution felt that they couldn't um, pin that on him because it, it wasn't clear that he knew the schoolgirl was under the age of 16, yeah. even though she was wearing a school, yeah. a school uniform. So he um, was offered uh, a plea, if he you know, uh, pleaded guilty to the, to the Article 64 offence, he wouldn't be charged with the other, and he subsequently absconded, and no one knows where he is okay. currently. So I think both cases, uh, in a sense, make a, a mockery of any claims that this legislation was designed to eliminate either prostitution yeah. or human trafficking for expo uh, sexual exploitation. Yeah. The fact can that I, sorry, can I just jump in? Just I don't know if you can cut this in, but just in regards to the first case, because you, like you said, in the first case, there was no suggestion that there was prostitution involved until. This the, the the person uh, was prosecuted under this law, yeah. at which point the cleaner yeah. was incredibly upset because a lot of people at home then thought yeah. that she actually yeah. was involved in sex yeah. work. So it actually ended up being totally counterintuitive. Yeah, I think I think that's a problem with this law in in the sense that it can in fact stigmatise the yeah. victim. Yeah. So not only is the the victim victimised once by whatever behaviour, but they're also victimised twice mm -hmm. by the the assumption that they may have been selling sex. And yeah. given the stigma around that in in society, that can be quite difficult to deal with, uh, particularly if you're a sixteen year old. Uh, child. The problem with an Article 64A offence is that it's basically a summary offence. It's something that, that uh, is tribal in a magistrate's court and it doesn't involve uh, a huge fine. Um, but there is a prison a prison sentence can be attached, but yeah. but nothing like, for example, you would be um, sentenced to in a higher in a higher court. Okay. Okay. Thanks for that. So. Not too much outcome statistically from this legislation. As you mentioned with that case, what we're saying then is the continuation of stigmatisation of Absolutely. sex workers. Mm -hmm. So while sort of this carceral feminist Nordic approach um, maybe claims to centre women's needs, it does nothing to destigmatize or to uh, remove the sort of shaming that we have uh, around sex work. Kiva, I might bring you in to unpack this a bit and to unpack the findings a bit more. You held interviews with sex workers. What were the sort of experiences that they were having as an outcome of this legislation? Mm -hmm. So, um, so a number of things I can say around that. 
I think one of the things that is important that, that Graham had sort of referred to earlier is the fact that we're the only jurisdiction that has research from before and research after. Yeah. And sex workers were obviously spoken to before the legislation was brought in. And during that research, the, the 2014 research, um, 98% of sex workers had said that this would have a detrimental effect on their lives, that it wouldn't reduce demand and that it would make them more vulnerable to abuse, more vulnerable to stigmatisation. And what we find on the other end is that in this review is that that's exactly what happened. The voices of sex workers were 100% um, I'm right. Mm-hmm. But yes, I interviewed sex workers as part of this research and I interviewed a, a very broad spectrum Um Women, men, members of the LGBT community, mm-hmm. trans workers, non-binary workers, mm-hmm. uh, from teens, from students, to people in their 50s. Uh, people who'd worked before the legislation, people who'd worked afterwards. And for those who were working before the legislation came in and those who were working after, there's a number had said there's a very distinct point at which clients became more abusive. And that was the bringing in of legislation. Mm-hmm. And, and absolutely link this sort of uh, more abusive client to that. Um, what they're what they were telling me is that clients, because clients are now seeing seeing themselves as taking the risk, they're the people who are in danger of being prosecuted um, or, or convicted. They are demanding um, or pressuring sex workers into less safe sexual practices, uh, mm-hmm. demanding that they do things that they maybe didn't offer, provide services they didn't offer previously, um, meet them in places that they aren't comfortable with. Sex workers, now you can't say, come to my house anymore. Clients will say, I'm the one taking the risk. I can't be seen going to a prostitute's house, you have to come to me, which is much less safe. Um, They've become more abusive. A number of the sex workers were telling me that uh, since laws come in, they're getting constant barrages of text messages, of phone calls, um, totally abusing them. and the statistical side of the research has shown, so our statistics are showing that sex workers by and large are finding this. Mm-hmm. Clients by and large are not finding a massive amount of difference to okay. ability to purchase sex. Yep. Uh, most clients said that there's been no real difference in ability to purchase sex um, than before. So while the law is on the surface meant to be reducing demand mm-hmm. without penalising sex workers, what we find is no reduction in demand yeah. and sex workers then they're significantly more stigmatised. Um, Did it impact the relationship between sex workers and policing? I think that in terms of, of policing, they, the PSNI, I suppose to their credit in some respects, um, have actually followed the National Police Chiefs Council guidelines mm-hmm. um, and have appointed uh, two, increasing to three, sex work liaison officers who have a kind of responsibility around um, harm reduction and not enforcement. So if individual sex workers are feeling, if they're threatened or whatever, they can can call upon these officers who will go out, um, not with the aim of prosecuting them for something or assuming that they're trafficked or whatever, but uh, will try and assist, I suppose. I think what we're probably finding, and certainly what the sex worker survey threw up, is that still an overwhelming, I wouldn't say a majority, but I'd say around half the sample of sex workers are still reluctant to report uh, a crime to the police. Yeah. Uh, and they fear, uh, first of all, they fear that the police may inadvertently out them. Mm-hmm. Even though the police may not necessarily intend to do that, mm-hmm. they may say something, they may call 
a landlord or something and, and they will be outed. Mm -hmm. They feel that they may not necessarily be believed. Mm -hmm. um, they f if they're uh, a migrant sex worker, they may feel that their immigration status, I suppose, could be quite legitimately checked, um, but they could be potentially deported. Uh, so there are lots of reasons for the non-reporting non mm -hmm. to the police, but I, I would have to say that out of all the statutory agencies in Northern Ireland, it's the PSNI that have made the most moves to attempt attempting to actually engage with sex workers. Mm. Like the Department of Health have published a leaving prostitution strategy, but there's nothing in it. All it does is point people to various existing and again, providers. it's focused on escape and... Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, and still got that narrative of protectionism and, and, and trying to protect... I, one of the things as well, just in regards to the police and the um, Department of Public Prosecutions, is the, they have talked about... They talked about it before the law came in, they've talked about it since, is that it's, it's a very difficult law to actually prosecute because mm -hmm. there's no... There tends to be no complainant. Yeah. You have two people in, a, in an apartment, in a hotel consensually exchanging sex and exchanging money, there's no person who's going to report that law. So the police has sort of said to us in the past and the, the Department of Public Prosecutions has said it's, it's it's very hard to police. It's mm -hmm. And to put police time towards it and place money and place resources for something that nobody's actually feeling a crime is being committed is, yeah. is quite problematic in, in and of itself. Absolutely. Um, you mentioned uh, migrant sex workers. And of course, this legislation was sort of of two parts and entailed um, this sort of enmeshed legislation with regards to human trafficking. And we see a lot of conflation between migrant sex work and human trafficking. What were your findings with regards to that? I, I think the um, I think it's well enough um, established and I suppose academic discourses around human trafficking that, that to a large extent they have emerged because of fears or concerns around immigration and that, and that human trafficking is a way of policing immigration by another, another means and if, you, and if you look for example at the first responders um, who respond to what's called the National Referral Mechanism in Northern Ireland or anywhere else in the UK, it's the police and the uh, immigration service. Uh, so, so that I suppose resonates with other work that has been, been been done. But but certainly in the 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 larger quantitative study we did, we recorded I think there were one hundred nationalities of of sex worker record, recorded. Um, not all of them were selling sex as much as the, the you know the the next grouping or, or whatever but it but it is uh, an international as I say smorgasbord and yeah. there are lots of reasons for that the the uh, Irish economy in the Republic for example is doing very well it attracts migrants in the uh, Northern Ireland as a region of the UK is, is seen as a kind of a go-to destination as mm -hmm. as well but there are comparatively few few Indigenous sex workers here, uh, oddly enough, and I think that's has impacts for um, any kind of stra prostitution strategy because yeah. a lot of these people don't necessarily want to exit. Mm -hmm. They will exit at some point when they go home, and that's what the research tells us: that migrant sex workers don't sell sex forever. They yeah. they do it for short periods of time, then then go home. 
what it is putting demands on, I think, and or will put demands on the future is provision of, of sexual health yeah. advice and services, because that's one area that we don't really have a lot of uh, support for. Mm-hmm. Um, there is the, the Belfast Commercial Sex Worker Service that runs a drop-in every Thursday, but that historically was more to do with, had more to do with the street sector. Mm-hmm. But they were telling us that that online sellers have different needs and priorities, mm-hmm. and this is something I think that that could become a public health issue mm-hmm. down the line if it's not addressed. Okay. I have a wee thing, and I don't know if this is uh, I don't know if this is a dirty word, and I don't know if you thought you'd get away with not talking about Brexit, but I do think that Brexit will have an implication um, in regards to the the international sellers, because what a lot of our, a lot of the sex workers who are migrant sex workers tend to travel across yeah. the border, because yeah. the border is fluid at the minute, and you'll find, you know, they'll do a few days in Dublin and a few days elsewhere, yeah, and then yeah, come yeah. to Belfast. And I think there is a big space for a piece of research on what the implications of if there is Absolutely. a border put up in regards to migrant sex workers yeah. um, travelling, because of course then you have conversations about migrants, like uh, immigration status, etc. Of course, so uh, anti-portation now and committee for mm. administration of justice have been recording the amount of stop yeah. and search that foreign nationals have yeah. on the border already. Already, yeah. So I think so there, there, there could well be um, there could well be quite a distinct. Uh, implications for, for travelling and touring sex workers because especially if, if it is people of questionable status, the, the idea of crossing a border that would uh, be stopped and searched probably will will stop that particular... Would be off-putting. Yeah. And I guess the statistics from your research really backed up this idea because how many arrests were there with regards to the Human Trafficking Act? Um, well... I can't there's, there's, it's less than 35 it's 30 or 31 it is in fact either. 31 yeah. <laughs> 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 Kiva was pay, paying attention yeah. but um, like, I think that the, the bigger issue for, for us here is that and the, the not the last justice minister the, the one before that David Ford yeah. I think he pointed this out at, at the time we in Northern Ireland currently have a piece of legislation, and this is the only example I can think of anywhere that this has happened, a piece of legislation that was that the police expressed concerns about and yeah. they had to enforce it, that the Public Prosecution Service expressed concerns about who had to prosecute it, and the Department of Justice expressed concerns about because they had to implement it. Yeah. So you have three organs of state with collective wisdom and experience yeah. of legislation all expressing concerns about this legislation yeah. but it was implemented anyway yeah. so I think people's emotions and their hearts overruled their actual heads mm-hmm. in yeah. terms of the the way this was voted for it was like you know community policing which is something I've also researched it's, it's just seen as a good thing yeah. Yeah. but whenever you sort of look at it and deconstruct it it actually means very little, to be yeah. honest. It means can mean anything you want it to mean. Yeah. But I suppose, in a sense, that's a bit like I'm sure you come across this a lot, Gillian. You know, as you say, as a prison abolitionist, there, there's a, a what feels like a logical argument where people go, "You do bad things, mm-hmm. you go to prison, and that's yeah, going to yeah, be yeah, off putting, yeah, yeah, and therefore yeah. that will work." And you kind of have to, like, you would have to challenge that by going, "Actually, well, here are alternates." And I think with this legislation. I don't think there are any hearts in the wrong place. I think that 
it was looked at, the Nordic model was looked at and they were going, well, this is going to be great because it's going to be beneficial to the women and the men who are women, men, transgender people who are in sex work and it's only going to be criminalising clients. And it feels logical, like community policing, it feels logical. But when you look at the actual results, yeah. we're not seeing the impact that was expected, except if you were listening to sex workers, you've told us this is exactly what was going to yeah. happen. Yeah, absolutely. And so it seems like the all the experts, the criminal justice experts, the researchers, the sex workers, um, what they felt would work was set to the side mm. and this sort of moralistic vision was enacted instead. Yeah, I don't know if, 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 if I'd say... Too strong? Um, I don't know. Well, I, I think it depends on what side of the, 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 the kind of debate you're, com you're coming from. Mm -hmm. I, I think... The issue here was that, that you, you had two groups. You had secular feminists at, on, on the one hand and the kind of religious right on the other who object to prostitution, albeit for very different reasons. Yeah, yeah. They don't even agree on why they, they sort of, you know, are, are agree on it in, yeah. in, in, in yeah. a sense. Mm -hmm. um, and no one is really... And once you start unpicking that, the whole yeah. thing falls, falls apart. Um, I think that we're running out of time now. Mm -hmm. So I might ask you then to tell me a bit about what your vision for a societal response to sex work would be. What could improve things? I don't think that anything is going to change here because I don't think there's the political will to engage with this topic because the, mm. the politicians don't want to talk or about prostitution or human trafficking because they don't want to appear soft on, on it. Yeah. So I think we're just going to like potter along with this law. It may, it may end up like other laws that are antiquated, they just end up not being enforced, yeah. but still mm -hmm. on the, the statute books. But that puts Northern Ireland in such an interesting place because, like like you've said a few times, we're the only place on earth that has put in the Nordic model that has research from before and research from after to say, let's see what's happened. And this research has been done, but I don't think there's going to be any change here, mm. which uh, just puts us in this very weird Yeah, position. and I think, like, in terms of the media exposure around the 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 review itself a lot of that has in fact been positive but um but there have been some negative stuff but mm -hmm. but the negative reports haven't actually focused on the results yeah they've tried to attack the credibility of the research team the you know pick holes in the methodology and whatever yeah, but yeah, yeah. but the reality is across four separate sources um that advertising and the supply of prostitution services has increased. Yeah. Mm. And even sex workers uh, noted that they, they noticed a huge surge in business. Yeah. That, that, yeah, right, that's, uh, that was one of the things I found really fascinating around the research was that at the time of bringing in the legislation in 2015, because there was so much media around it <coughs> and the negative media around uh, sex work, which is where some of the stigmatisation comes from, but... Um, the, there was a huge surge in demand for sex work. So actually what the law did was it, it, it mm. increased demand for sex work at that time, some, a huge surge. And it has tailed off because there was the particular media interest. Yeah. But overall, we've seen about a 5 6% five, increase well, in uh, yeah, well, on, on, on one particular website, it was a 5% increase, but that increase was noted by sex workers. It was noted as well in our data scrape of other. Yeah. And 75% of clients now purchase sex online, whereas only 50% did mm. on the, in the pre earlier research. Yeah. So there's been a definite move to online 
Um, there was a particular website. Markets. Yeah, there was a particular website that there was a media report about around the time of of the legislation. I can't remember off the top of my head which website it was, but it it was put into an article in one of the local newspapers, and they in particular said they saw well, sex workers who advertised on this particular website said that after that article. There was a huge increase, and that was an article that was saying this is terrible, mm. and look, don't look at this because it's awful. And, and basically, people read the article. Yeah, but like, I think that works too. Is it, it hasn't? It's not just for people who want to purchase sexual services. It's also for people who want to sell as well, yeah. because mm. um, publicising the idea of prostitution uh, can work for sellers and buyers because it, mm -hmm. it can introduce women and men who maybe want a bit of extra money for school fees or university fees, absolutely, or whatever, and. It was kind of interesting as well, but not. But there are similar results in you know England that around 20% of our uh, sample who did the the actual survey were students, yeah, uh, either part time or full time, and using the income from sex work to supplement their their, their or pay for their mm -hmm. fees or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But a lot of um, possibly single females were saying that it's 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 a flexible work environment yeah. mm -hmm. and no one's saying it's 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 perfect and we certainly didn't say that in the in the report mm -hmm. and we we have highlighted the potentially abusive nature of of prostitution but yeah. um but i think it's a big complex picture that's has been really in danger of being oversimplified mm -hmm. okay and this legislation hasn't really done anything to change or help certainly not help okay no i i think it's 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 problematized a whole raft of areas that were already problematic. Okay. So it's actually made it even worse, in okay. my opinion. Well, thank you very much, both thank of you. you. Thank you. You've been listening to LawPod, an informed take on current events brought to you by the law students and staff at Queen's University of Belfast. Our theme music is by Colonel Chocolate and the Justice Triangle, and LawPod is funded by Queen's Law School and the Queen's Annual Fund. You can follow us on social media or on Twitter at QBLawPod. For more information, you can also visit our website, lawpod.org, and please have a look in the show notes for more information about the topics covered today. You can find us on iTunes or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening, and this was LawPod.